Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have helped them become more real to us because we believe we can draw more power out of them and apply to them to our lives better when they're real to us, and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and I'm so happy to have with us today my my friend and colleague here in religious education at BYU. Um, this is Byron Korth. Welcome, Byron. Well, thank you. So for this episode, I want to talk to you about something I've been working really hard on on our new website, the Enlightened Edge EDU website, uh, where we're trying to have just edifying experiential or uh, edifying educational experiences. And someone suggested this to me. We kind of created a little board for this, and uh, someone on the board suggested I do this. So I'm going to see if I can do it. Uh, it will take a lot of time, and and I may not be able to keep it up or be as consistent as I uh, am right now, but I'm trying to have... Uh, a, a kind of a, a scriptural thought or a spiritual thought each day uh, to help you. And it will come largely, not always, sometimes other things may seem important to me, but largely following along with the Come Follow Me. Sometimes it will, uh, I'm, I'm hoping often it will include some scripture study skills so that we can build up some of those scripture study skills. And um, it's going to be uh, it's sometimes diving in a little bit deeper or a spiritual thought. I hope that each day, you can have just a, a two to five minute thought uh, that uh, can boost you and can give you things to study with your families. Uh, can give you things to study in, in gospel doctrine uh, or just ways of getting more out of your Book of Mormon study. So that's at uh, Enlightened Edge EDU. I'll give you the long uh, website address and then we found an easier way for you to reach this. So you can go to patreon.com slash Enlightened Edge EDU. That's kind of long and hard, and we'll put the link in the, the show notes. But you can also, we've created a, a website that will redirect you. So you can do TSAR, that's T-S-A-R, that stands for The Scriptures Are Real. So tsar.website, and that will redirect you to our Patreon site. So tsar, uh, T-S-A-R, dot website, will take you there. And we've been adding more materials. You've got all sorts of stuff from our Book of Mormon workshop and from uh, these lectures that we've been doing and uh, handouts that I've made and things like that. And we're going to continue to dump lots of material on there for you. And I'm reaching out to others to see if they have stuff they want to add on. Uh, we've got mental health things there and so on. But now you're going to have what's called daily bread. Look for daily bread. These will be some. Uh, and, and I'm going to have some others, I hope, that will be willing to contribute to this. But uh, if you'll do some daily bread or if you, if you want some daily spiritual uplift, uh, go to that website and subscribe, and you can get some uh, great stuff. I, I believe it's great stuff for you every single day. Well, let me tell everyone a little bit about you, Byron. Uh, like I said, Byron is in the same college I am. He's a different department, the Department of Church History and Doctrine. Uh, he teaches, we mostly teach the, the course on families, uh, I believe. Um, uh, he uh, did his doctorate in human development and family studies from Auburn University in Alabama. Um, and uh, he's been with us since 2004. Um, and uh, that, that's like kind of the basics, but we'd like you to tell us a little bit more about yourself, if that's okay, Byron. That's great, Kerry. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here and have an opportunity to to exchange a little bit with you. So yeah, that kind of gave a, a, in a nutshell. Um, my background is in human development family studies. I uh, started here at Brigham Young University in my undergraduate and just uh, felt a desire to teach about the family and to learn about the family. And during those graduate years, uh, it kind of narrowed down to parenting of and then it narrowed even further to parenting of young children. Um, and uh, that, that's really what has been at, at my passion at, and, and at my heart here. Um, 
I've been here in religious education, specifically teaching the eternal family class, which in 2016 became a new required class for all uh, incoming students at BYU, and its foundation is the family proclamation, and absolutely have loved teaching that class, bringing in my my understanding of family dynamics, my parent-child relationships, my uh, emphasis on teaching young children and so forth, been able to bring all of that in as I teach about, uh, learn about, uh, and as I tell my students, uh, yeah, I might have some expertise when it comes to family dynamics and some parenting and and so forth, but I'm by no means have arrived at being the perfect parent, the perfect husband, the perfect father. Um, I rely on the teachings of the family proclamation um, as much as anyone, and uh, I love teaching the class because of how much I get out of it in my own uh, journey as a husband and as a father. Uh, I've got three young adult children uh, together with my sweet wife, and and uh, it's been a journey for us. And uh, the teachings uh, that's found in the proclamation that are then uh, taught and exemplified by our prophets, seers, and revelators uh, have been what has helped me uh, hold on in this this crazy journey uh, of, of family life, particularly of parenting. I would say that the two biggest trials of faith in my life, um, where my faith in Christ has really been tried and tested, and, and there's many, many that's happened, but the two biggest ones has been the conceiving or bearing of children. We actually adopted our two oldest children um, before having our, our third one naturally, uh, and then the rearing and the raising of children, uh, especially when they get into the young adult and uh, late adolescent years, uh, those two, the bringing these kids into the world and then getting them ready and seeing them go out into the world have been tremendous trials of faith. Um, Amen and, to that, brother. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think there's probably many of your listeners who are uh, resonating with some of that there. Yeah. And it, and it, it can be for a variety of reasons. Uh, sometimes choices they make, sometimes things that happen to them that they didn't have control over. Sometimes it's health problems. It's all sorts of things, but it's, it's, it's an adventure, isn't it? <laughs> it is an adventure. It is a journey. And uh, one that can truly be a trial of one's individual faith. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, you're you're serving in a stake presidency in, is it Mapleton or is it Springville? I can't remember. Springville. Yeah. Springville. So I okay. serve in a, a stake presidency in Springville, Utah. I've been doing that for a four going on five years, which again, it's just uh, another halfway through now. <laughs> wonderful opportunity to not only be learning uh, and living, but... Uh, uh, mourning with those that mourn and bearing yeah. burdens with others, uh, particularly regarding some of these challenges of, of seeing our our loved ones uh, use their agency and uh, as they experience both the bitter and the sweet of this mortal journey. Uh, thank you. Well, uh, and it's along those lines that uh, we wanted to have Byron on. Byron has written an article that I think uh, I've found is a way that the scriptures have become very, very real for me. And it's not just the article, it's the concept he's talking about in there. And it's a concept that we've talked about a number of times, Byron and I, and we've even gotten groups of our colleagues together to talk about and so on. And it's one that I've found is 
tender and dear to the heart of so many people in the church. So, so many people. And if it hasn't yet become uh, uh, important and a big thing to you, it probably will at some point. Um, and in fact, we went over this in my ward on a fifth Sunday and it was, uh, this topic, it was so, uh, important to everyone that we, we did it a second time. Um, and that's, uh, this idea the, the article I think is called staying at the tree. Is that correct? Staying by the tree. Yeah. Staying by the tree. Yeah. And it has to do, so we could have chosen to do this when we did first Nephi, um, six through 10, because it really is focused on Lehi's vision, right. in, in chapter eight. Uh, we're placing it just because we already had a couple of episodes that are people who really want to talk about some things covering those chapters. We're placing it when we do Nephi's seeing that vision. Nephi doesn't have the same experience as Lehi is in saying, my children aren't coming to the tree, but Nephi is has pains over his brothers not coming to the tree and so on. So I think it's applicable in either place, and we'll talk about both Lehi and Nephi, I'm sure. Um so uh, why don't you tell us basic, the basic tenet of uh, your uh, discussion, or just tell us how how has this made this part of the Book of Mormon real for you, and uh, let's just see where we go. Yeah, th this this chapter, it's in a book that uh, called Book of Mormon Insights that our good friends and colleagues here, uh, Ken Alford, Crystal Pierce, and Mary Jane Woodger, uh, put uh, edited together. And anyway, this is a chapter and when the call for this book came out of, of writing about um, uh, real things when it comes to the teachings of the Book of Mormon and what we're experiencing today in our mortal, I had recently given a talk in my state conference um, about the faith, hope, and charity that is needed in the rearing and the raising of our children. And... Um, when I was preparing to give that talk and giving that talk, my own personal study of it, um, I, I was, I think at the time, I was reading uh, in the beginning chapters of the Book of Mormon and was there with Lehi's dream and just saw how him as a father, the exact same time that he experiences, as it says, the most sweet and the most joyous and the most wonderful of partaking of the fruit, at that same moment as he's wanting to share that fruit with his family, of course, his wife and, and, and Nephi and Sam partake, but then he looks out and he sees his sons Lemuel and Laman walking away and not wanting to heed his beckoning. And, and I, it just really struck me of the same moment he's experiencing the overwhelming joy of God's love, the overwhelming joy of the redemptive power of Jesus Christ, he's also experiencing the overwhelming anguish of, of a parent seeing his children use their agency to not partake of that fruit or to not partake of that joy and, and that uh, redemptive love. And so that really stuck with me, and I think I might have referred to it a little bit in, in my uh, co my uh, state conference talk, but then when this call for papers came out from uh, uh, Ken Alford and his his team, I thought, I, I can write something here about Lehi's example of staying by the tree. Mm -hmm. um, he, he didn't run after them. He, he didn't force them. Uh, he didn't just collapse in despair. 
but there was something in his example. And, and I would invite uh, your listeners as they're doing their, their study of these, not only these chapters, but this whole episode uh, of, of Lehi and the family um, to see his example as an imperfect father and as an imperfect mother on how they stayed by the tree and I know many can find their own examples, their own symbol, some uh, symbolic meaning of of seeing at uh, excuse me, um, Lehi and 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 his wife staying by the tree, and so that's kind of the the genesis of this. And I just the more I studied that, and and the more I wrote about it, I could just see um, this the inclusion of this um, this episode, this experience is so applicable to our day today. Uh, I'm sure uh, those, as we begin our studies in the Book of Mormon, we remember that this, this is Nephi reflecting back about 30 years after is where First Nephi up through, what is it, Second Nephi chapter 4, 5, or 6 or something. Yeah. He's reflecting back, and he's he's trying to choose what he's going to after being commanded to start this small place, he's he's choosing what he's going to insert, what he's going to include. And, and I find it really powerful that what he chooses to include is, is about the family dynamics, is about the experience of his father and his mother and of his siblings. And we just see actually that same theme of parent-child, uh, a parent-prophet, trying to teach his children, we really see if you, I don't kind of put a percentage to it, but the large majority of the Book of Mormon, its doctrines and teachings are in the context of a parent-child relationship. Yeah. So much of what we have in the Book of Mormon isn't just the doctrine, but how that doctrine of Christ and God's Christ, God's everlasting covenant all of that is being taught within the context of a parent-child relationship. Uh, so true. So, so true. I mean, if you think of the great sermons, some are not like Alma chapter five, that's Alma to a big group, right? 34, 32, Alma 32 and 34 and the, the, those areas. But you think of second Nephi two, um, even Jacob, uh, like second Nephi eight, well, six through 10, that's really in a family context. You've got, uh, Helaman and uh, teaching his children, and Alma teaching his children, and Nephi. Anyway, uh, so much of Moroni, Mormon's letters to Moroni's, so much of it is in that uh, family situation. And as you said here at the beginning, Nephi really seems to choose to convey his, uh, in First Nephi and the first part of Second Nephi, he conveys the theme that he's trying to teach through the narrative of his family. He then takes that same theme and he does it by using Jacob and Isaiah and then his own teachings. But initially, and the, the primary way he does it is through just his family story. Well, and even to that point, Carrie, when you when you when you look at Nephi, and I'm I'm, I'm I know we're kind of fast forwarding a little bit later into the Book of Mormon, but when you look at Nephi, and he includes all of the Isaiah teachings in yeah. order to emphasize the centrality of Christ, it is there in that uh, second twenty uh, fifth chapter of Second Nephi where we get and uh, the the often quoted scriptures, and we labor diligently to persuade right. our children to believe yeah. in Christ. 
And that labor has to refer to his labor of including all the writings of Isaiah. I did that to convince my children of who to believe in. For we write, we prophesy, we teach, we, we do all these things so that our children will know what source they can to turn to for remission of their sins. And so it's not just the message of Jesus Christ, but it's who is to be given that message of Jesus Christ in the context of the family. It, it is not a program of the church to be home-centered, church-supported, but that is the way that began from the premortal journey of yeah. our Heavenly Father teaching His children and then with Adam and Eve, and then with uh, Abraham and his wife, and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and their wives, it is all about not just the doctrine of Christ, but the context of where that doctrine is taught. It is to be home-centered. It's not just a program, but it truly is the way uh, that God is exemplified from the beginning of time. Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, I love what you said. I, I would maybe even say it's not the program of the church. It's the program of our heavenly parents. Yeah, right. That's that's their program. That's the way they work. And I, and I've said that often. Like when people ask, well, why does he choose a family to take, you know, the house of Israel to take the gospel and the covenant to all the world? Well, and my answer is, well, what groups does God work with? He works with families. That's that's right. his core unit. That's who he works with, right? So, well, very good. Uh, sorry, it, it looks it, like it, you were about to say something. Well, I was just gonna. President or then president, but now Elder Uchtdorf when he served in in the first presidency, but he he talked about the family being an echo of a celestial pattern. Yeah. So that's what I mean. I, I'm not. Uh, yes, it is a program, but it's not a program that then uh, in ten years from now we're going to change it for something else and then for something else. It is an echo of a celestial pattern. Parents. Yeah teaching their children the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, again, if I can just expand on that, because I because it's what is established as the context here in the Book of Mormon, is, is we have Adam and Eve, and yes, we often refer to that first commandment given to them to multiply and replenish, um, but we don't remember sometimes that also the command was given them to teach these things freely to their children. So when Adam and Eve, as the first parents, are given their testimonies of the joy of redemption and given their testimonies of, 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 of the joy of their seed, it says, and then we made these things known unto our sons and our daughters. And then in that next chapter in Moses chapter six is where it talks about, um, God telling them, because your children are going to be conceived in sin, because they're going to have agency, because they're going to have opposition in this world, they're going to experience both bitter and sweet. And he's establishing right there with Adam and Eve that in order for them to experience that, they're going to need parents who can teach these things to them as they experience the opposition of this mortal world. So right there, God is taking the same pattern that he established in pre-mortal world with Adam and Eve, which then is just continued to be established. And, and you would be the one to speak more and more and more to this. But that's what the whole Abrahamic covenant is, is, is teaching these things 
to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. That echo of a celestial pattern to me is very empowering as we as parents experience both the joy and the anguish, which Adam and Eve experienced. I mean, Adam and Eve, they experienced. The, oh, yeah. The, 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 the prophetic uh, statement that they would experience sorrow wasn't just the physical sorrow of bearing children, but the spiritual and mental and every other sorrow of rearing and raising children to where they would have a son say, who is this God that I'm supposed to pray to? Yeah. They understand what that sorrow is, and, and God established a pattern for us to, 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 to address that throughout our, uh, throughout our lives there. And so to me, that's what Lehi is exemplifying, going back to this theme of staying by the tree. He is exemplifying, let's stay by that covenant, let's stay by that, because God anticipated this from the very beginning. If you will, all of us are wayward children, because all of us are separated from God. Yes. We chose to come, yes, we chose to come, but there's no way none of us are getting back without having faith in and believing in the Savior, Jesus Christ. We're all wayward. He anticipated that waywardness from the very beginning. Yeah. And we need to be able to, to, to cling to the faith and belief in that plan that we had premortally while we're dealing with the messiness of mortality right now. Amen to that. Amen. And you're right. I mean, Adam and Eve, uh, most of their children— caused them pain they, they chose uh at least well we don't know really after seth they probably had 500 more children after that i don't know but um the, we don't know about that but up until seth okay or uh, abel and seth are the only ones who chose righteousness right so in fact when i had the chance uh when i was at byu why i taught a couple times the uh marriage and parenting course and i just decided the beginning of the book of moses well really most of the book of moses was the first part of the class uh, to understand the fall, and then we see what Adam and Eve are doing. So I, I'm I'm with you on that. So I have a couple of questions for you uh, that maybe we can explore. Um, first of all, maybe we can just start with this text, and this is in First Nephi eight. Uh, again, we're we're doing this when we're doing Nephi as part of the vision as well. But but I want to start out in First Nephi eight when, and you you referenced this already. But uh, if we were to look at verse twelve. And as I partook of the fruit thereof, it filled my soul with exceedingly great joy. Wherefore, I began to be desirous that my family should partake of it also. And that's natural, I think. Like, if this is wonderful for you, you want your family to do it. For I knew that it was desirable above all other fruit. And that's when he looks around and he sees the river of water and he gets Sarai and Sam and Nephi to come. Um, and Laman and Lemuel won't. Uh, but I, I also want to read this part. Uh where he says, verse 15, and it came to pass that I beckoned unto them, and I did say unto them with a loud voice that they should come unto me and partake of the fruit, which was desirable above all other fruit, right? But as you said, Laman and Lemuel don't come. And uh, so I want to ask you two questions. First of all, let's explore, as you, you said, he stays there rather than running after them. And I'd like to ask you kind of, what does that look like in our lives today? What are some ways that that might be a, a real thing for us? And second, what is the role of experiencing that joy while we stay there, uh, continuing to partake of the fruit and the, and the joy element? Uh, how does that play into this? 
I think those are really inspired questions. And again, I would invite uh, your listeners to be thinking about that themselves as they read these really powerful and insightful of the personal uh, meaning that these things can can be for us individually. I think it's interesting in, in response to your first question there, Carrie, that as he invites Laman and Lemuel to partake, he they they he sees that they walk away, and it's then that he sees the iron rod. Yeah, and so uh, I, I think there's and something, the straight and narrow path, right? There, there's yeah. something established there that the, that God is showing him. I've made a way back for them. You you don't need to run after them and and risk um you don't need to be ashamed you know you think about all the things that are happening with the great and spacious building of what led people to leave lehi you don't need to do that stay here i have provided the means to get your children back and you need to stay by the tree while they experience their agency and 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 choose to partake of that fruit because it's not them eating it by force that's going to make them feel that same joy. It's their use of their agency to experience that that's going to experience that joy there. So I, I think there's something there to be reminded as we as parents see our children going out into the world. Remember uh, that the word of God, which is the representation of the iron rod, but I also say that it also represents the word, capital W, of God, meaning Jesus Christ. It's not only Good. the scriptural words, but actually Christ himself being referred to the word of God. The way has been provided for them. Don't give up hope. Don't give up faith. Don't allow despair to overwhelm you and to overcome you. I love this quote that I mentioned at the beginning of my this chapter that I wrote by Neil A. Maxwell. He says, just as doubt, despair, and desensitization go together, so do faith, hope, and charity. The latter, however, must be carefully and constantly nurtured, whereas despair, like dandelions, needs so little encouragement to sprout and spread. Uh. When we leave the tree, meaning when we, we give up on our covenants, when we lose faith, and we lose hope, and we begin to allow that despair to grow like dandelions, we lose charity. We lose the desire to keep trying. But if we stay by the tree, our faith and hope returns. And then we have the charity or the desire to keep trying, to keep asking God, what is it that I should do? And, 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 and I could give some examples of maybe what parents can do, but I, but I don't want to undermine the power of the personal revelation that comes as you stay by the tree. And, and fact, I could, oh. please go ahead, Carrie. I was just going to say, I, I would argue, so this is a spoiler alert for my, my audience, that uh, when we get to 2 Nephi 31 and 32, uh, I, I think I'll show them that the... When Nephi is defining the word of God, he defines it as what the spirit teaches them. 
and so I think we, we usually think of the scriptures, but it's what the Spirit teaches you as you hear ancient or modern prophets. And then, as you said, the capital word. But that that inspiration or that revelation is not only what will get you to the tree. Uh, as you said, it's it's what you need to have to stay at the tree. I think those are, are really key to recognize that revelation is absolutely necessary. But anyway, sorry, keep going. Well, yeah, just that personal revelation that of what parents can do in those small, uh, simple times. Um, uh, again, I don't want to get too personal and into my own family lives. All my children is is uh, as young adults. Um, they're on their journeys and they're experiencing the world as as they need to experience it right now. Um, I remember learning as a as a bishop of a YSA ward. It was, my kids were a little bit younger. They were in their early teens or even younger then. But during that time as a YSA bishop, I learned so powerfully about the power of Jesus Christ to redeem those mm -hmm. that I was blessed to serve. Yeah. And as I finished my time as a bishop and now turn, um, continue my attention to my children, um, I realized that that experience as a YSA bishop wasn't just for me to help those that I was serving, but it was to for me to help my children. Mm. That it's going to be Christ that saves them, not me. And it's my efforts as an instrument to invite them so that they will choose to partake of that fruit, not force them to partake of that fruit. And so as my children have gotten older and and again, they're they're on their journeys and so forth, uh, just a, a, a personal example of staying by the tree. I, I'm at the temple and my heart is heavy and I'm worried about my children as all parents are. And, and I'm watching this um, experience there in the temple of, of Adam and Eve and their experience as parents and them as children of heavenly parents as well. And I, 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 I learned some very personal things. I won't go into detail because I feel like they're more my personal revelation that I, but I learned that it, it stood out to me, if I can articulate this the right way, that Adam and Eve were not taught about Jesus Christ until they had a need for Jesus Christ. Right. And that really hit me as a parent. I've taught my children about Christ throughout their lives, but they need to experience the world and the purpose of opposition so that they will choose to accept Jesus Christ and partake of that fruit not by me forcing them so that they will never experience opposition. I hope I'm making sense there, but I, I saw the powerful pattern of, 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 of Adam and Eve being taught about the way back to heaven when they realized there was no way back to heaven for them on their own, if I'm yeah. making sense there. Well, as you said, when they feel the, the desperate need, when, when life forces them to say, I can't do this on my own. Yeah. What do I do? That's that's when you turn. That's where uh, Alma the Younger was, right? I mean, that, we're just going to see that again and again and again. And and, and exactly. I, I see that pattern, whether it's with Alma the Younger or Alma uh, the Elder or, or Enoch. 
uh, or, or, or Enos, Enos, excuse yeah. me, um, where they remember a father saying something about a Jesus Christ. Yeah. The so so when we're trying to teach our children during these years, these early years, yes, we hope that that will protect them from experiencing the bitter. But as they do experience the bitter, because all Which they have in to one way or in, they have to exactly. Yeah. We can't. The teaching them of the Savior is not to impede them from experiencing the bitter, but they have to experience the bitter. And we've created what I like to refer to as, as sacred memories that will come to their mind that they will want to come back. They will want to come back to a mother and father who taught them and believed in something. And imagine if they want to come back and mom and dad are no longer by the tree anymore. Yeah. What would that be like? That they experience the bitter and they remember a mother and father teaching them about a Christ that can help them get through these hard times. And now they return back to partake of that fruit and they need help because they don't feel like they can do it alone. All of the other shame and other adversarial um, temptations to keep them from partaking of the fruit. Imagine them making their way back and mom and dad are no longer there. Yeah. Another powerful reason why we need to stay by the tree to bring them back, welcome them back, and help them as, again, opposition is going to continue to keep them from the tree. And I think this is so important, and it's true, I think, parent-child relationship, husband-wife, and, and all sorts of ways. And, and I'll tell you that I've, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little older now, um, and the longer I've been around, the more I see how difficult it really is when you have any kind of family relationship, whether that's uh, one spouse has decided that they are not going to participate in belief or in rich religious practices the way they once did, or children do, how difficult that is just personally and emotionally. But further, I've seen, and I've seen this a little bit with parents more in marriages, when someone, when, when the one who still believes and is faithful feels like, okay, well, I'm going to accommodate I'm going to work because I love this person and I want to support this person. So I will sometimes not go to church or I will, we won't do family prayer for everyone or whatever that is. Um, from my experience of what I've seen, when you take that one step, other steps just follow, follow. It is really, really, really hard to maintain your faith. I just, in general, when you have uh, someone, especially a spouse, but in general, when someone is struggling, but especially when you start to accommodate, when you take steps away from the tree, we could say, in whatever way that is. Uh, and of course, everyone's going to have to get revelation on how they negotiate this in their own family. But it is incredibly difficult to stay at the tree when you take even a couple of steps away. Uh, it, it, your faith is hard to maintain. And I think that's that's something we really, really need to think about. Um and, and with that then, and we can maybe return to this question I was uh, posing, uh, the, the issue of joy, of maintaining that, that joy. And in my opinion, um, one of the things that will help when our children, spouse, whoever, any family, grandchildren, we should be throwing grandchildren in there. Uh, we should be uh, talking about nephews, nieces, friends, whatever. Um, if we want them when they have that bitterness and they, they come to that point where they say, uh, I need help. This is, this is too much for me. 
it's important for them to see the joy that we have at the tree, right? The, 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 that joy that we enjoy it. And sometimes that's hard when our loved ones, this is so important to us, but our loved ones aren't partaking of it. It's sometimes hard to continue to feel joy about it. Instead, when you're going through things that would have made you joyous, instead you feel a little bit sad. It's a little bit like if, if you've uh, lost a, a loved one, a child, a parent, a spouse, that next Christmas might actually be more painful than than happy, right? Because instead you're thinking of, well, uh, you know, when they were with us, it was this way and it's not that way. And, and that's understandable. That starts to happen with religious experiences that once brought you joy, they can start to be difficult. But I think it's important to give ourselves permission almost to feel the joy of the gospel even if our all our loved ones are not feeling that joy, for us to feel that joy, and and it it ties in a little bit with I, I was uh, reading a, a no listening to a podcast once where a woman was uh, it's called the Happiness Project, and she was going through all the studies that that support that actually one of the biggest determiners of whether children are happy is if their parents are happy, <laughs> um, and and I think that one of the the determiners of it's just my opinion. I have studies to back this up, but the determiners of whether loved ones will return to the tree is whether their loved ones who are at the tree are having joy while they're at the tree. I don't know. What thoughts do you have along those lines? Beautiful. I think that's just what I keep on having come to my mind as I'm listening to you is president Nelson Sherry. The joy has little to do with our circumstances, yeah. but the focus and that even comes as we we there is tremendous joy that comes when we see our children choose to go on a mission, choose to get married in the temple, choose to raise their children in the gospel. Yes, there is great joy. But if that is the sole uh, reason for my joy, uh, i'm gonna I'm gonna struggle. Yeah, I need to experience my own personal joy of partaking of the fruit. And hold on to that personal redemptive power and believe with all my heart and hope with all my heart that that same thing is what's going to bring my children joy. And so I, I really love what you're saying there, Carrie. We need to hold on to the joy of that redemption even when everything else around us is, is less than joyful. And that is hard. Yeah, that is hard, but it's even harder to do away from the tree. But yes. if you're by the tree and if you're grounded in the tree and you're continuing to partake of that fruit week in and week out through the sacramental ordinances, going to the temple, if you're continuing to create that uh, joy yourself, you will be able to then have that eternal perspective, which I believe is not just a, uh, uh, a psychological term that we can talk to ourselves and but an eternal perspective is power from God to yeah. truly be able to see from an eternal perspective joy and hope and charity when everything else around us seems to be just the opposite. Yeah, that's that thinking celestial kind of a thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. And it doesn't mean... Uh, if we're staying at the tree and we're having joy, it doesn't mean we won't have mixed emotions, right? Uh, so, for example, if we were to look at, at Nephi's experience at the tree, Nephi has that joy. He partakes of the tree. Um, he sees us the love of God, which sheds itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men. 
Um, if we were to go to, to some of that language, um, the, the beauty thereof was far beyond the exceeding of all beauty and the whiteness thereof that exceed the whiteness of the driven snow and, and so on. And uh, anyways, it's, it's amazing to him, right? This, this tree. And yet in that same vision, he sees that his descendants will fall into wickedness and be destroyed. And it's a burden to his soul, right? And so Nephi has both joy and pain during this vision to the point that we'll get, uh, and I know we're, I, I think it's great to jump around the scriptures because I think, as you said, Nephi is looking back on this. So we're getting his retrospective. So we should be using all the places he talks about it. When in second Nephi four, he talks about watering his, his pillow with his tears at night. He then says, nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. Right. So I think that the watering his, 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 uh, pillow with tears it's partially because of what's going on with his own immediate children that Laman and Lemuel have tried to kill him and they've had to run away and move and so on but it seems to be partially because he's seen well his children's children and children 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 uh, to all these generations are going to have all this this bitterness and that does cause him to sorrow and yet he still finds comfort and joy in knowing whom in whom he has trusted and that idea that that you've talked about earlier it's not us who's going to save our children uh, it is Christ. When we have trusted in him, it's not just that I'm trusting in Christ to redeem me. I trust in his ability to reach my my nephews and my nieces, my grandchildren, my children, uh, my my brothers and sisters and brothers and sisters-in-law and everyone else, just to, to that Christ can reach them and redeem them. Now, while that's happening, I will experience some pain and some sorrow as well. Uh, I, I heard a phrase once that uh, I actually really hate, um, but I know a lot of people who believe it, and and I found it to be kind of true for us. It was about mothers. It applies to mothers and fathers, but, but it was said that a mother is only as happy as her saddest child, um, and that can be true. Uh, I, I know I have had to i've struggled when i've had children who are going through health problems or uh you know all sorts of things that are tough our children go through tough things that make them sad i've had times where i felt guilty if i was going to be happy my child is experiencing sorrow right now i'm having something wonderful happen in the gospel or something else should i i, I shouldn't feel happy uh, because they're sad and i had to really give myself permission it's all right for me to have joy and sorrow at the same time. I am sorrowing for my child and I'm experiencing joy. And I think that's what Nephi is talking about when he's watering his pillow, but he knows in whom he's trusted and so on. Uh, and that's part of this having joy at the tree, even when others aren't yet having joy at the tree and, and we want them to. So we have all this mix of emotions, but we need to say it's all right for joy to be part of that because there is joy in the gospel if we will allow it uh and i sometimes see people who don't allow it because they're so overcome by anxiety for their loved ones i i think and that anxiety for their loved ones we see that anxiety as you mentioned nephi sharing it but again we can go back there to to, to first nephi chapter eight where lehi feared for laman and lemuel yea yeah. he feared lest they should be cast off from the presence of the Lord. He's ex he, he's experienced firsthand the power, redemptive power of Jesus Christ, but he still fears the that anxiety, that worry. And, and I think you're making a great point there that we need to allow ourselves to 
hold on to the joy and the hope and the charity and the faith of the gospel while also experiencing the hard and messiness uh, of agency and opposition of this mortal journey that we chose to come down to. And, and Lehi, what I like what happens later on here in these chapters of 8, 9, and 10, and so forth, is where Lehi, now he's out of the dream, and he continues to teach his children. And what I found interesting is that his teaching of his children was based in the gathering of Israel. Yeah. And and what I find there for me personally is Lehi is remembering, staying by the tree, that this plan was anticipated from the foundation of the world. The gathering, if God has power to gather his children, which Lehi clearly has that testimony of the gathering of children, he is, in my mind, he's taken that same testimony. He has the power to gather the house of Lehi. Yeah. If, if God has the power to gather Israel, he has the power to gather the house of Mulestein, the house of Korth. And that's what's staying by the tree. I don't know how he's going to do all this gathering. Yeah. I don't know how it's going to happen, but it will. And I need to make sure that I'm by the tree so that I can participate in the joy of that gathering. I hope that makes a little bit of sense. I I, yeah. I really liked how Lehi transitions from the dream and then teaches them as a prophet of this prophetic gathering. And that same faith of this gathering of the house of Israel can transfer to the faith and hope and charity in the gathering of the house of Lehi, of the house of, again, Mielstein, of the house of Korth, of all of our homes that we feel are in such disarray. If we hold on and believe in, there is a gathering that we'll be able to uh, take part in. That's it's so important. And, and as soon as you bring that up, then you bring in another element that you referenced earlier. I mean, that covenant is such an important part of this, right? Israel is going to be gathered because they're part of the covenant. So, and and Nephi will make this point, right? This, the scriptures are about us because we're covenant people. The scriptures are about covenant people. Lehi is going to make that point. Uh, they are a covenant family, uh, part of the house of Israel is covenant part, and the covenants with each other and so on as a covenant family. Um, and that's huge. So that you'll see if, if we go to Nephi's iteration of this vision, right? And he sees his descendants scattered and, uh, you know, some uh, mixture of his with the Lamanites remain and they're covenant people, but they're in darkness for so long. And he sees the mists of darkness that come upon huge groups in the same way that Lehi saw them coming in upon his own immediate family. Right. And so between the two of them, if you triangulate, you get this idea that what's happening for Israel on the world as a whole is the same thing that's happening for our families. Right. And we've got this large covenant group and we've got our smaller covenant group. But what Nephi sees is that eventually, and I think Lehi saw this as well, and it's why he's talking about it. Uh, and so he, he, we get the summary of Nephi's summary of Lehi's summary in chapter 10, but we get Nephi's summary of his own vision in, say, chapters 12 through 14. And what you see is that with all the mists of darkness, the mocking, the great and abominable church, all these things that pull individuals away from our families, pulled huge groups away from covenants and so on, that in the end, God still honors his covenant and he will gather his covenant people back and God wins. 
and those who will be gathered to him. I mean, that's the, the big message in, in this big vision that we get in, say, chapter 14 and so on. God will win, and those who are in a covenant relationship with God will win. So the, if we're going to take that, as you said, from this large scale to this small scale, our covenants matter. Not just whether we'll be part of the house of Israel and gathered into God, but when we think of it on our the scale of gathering our family, our covenants matter. The fact that we have made covenants, it has, and I think sometime we should get a group together and do a roundtable discussion on this or something like this, like we did once before, and maybe make it available to, for others or something. But in some way, our covenants have to matter for our own families. And so this is another way of saying, stay at the tree. Your covenant matters for your family, for your loved ones. It matters. And so keep your covenant. It, when you stop keeping your covenant, then that's not only bad news for you, that's bad news for everyone in your family. Uh, the, there's a key draw uh, somehow in some way in that covenant relationship you're all in. So keep your covenant and find joy in the covenant, but find comfort in knowing that as you're keeping your covenant in some way, God is not going to, to get rid of anyone's agency. But there is something about that covenant, that chesed that we've talked about before, right? That he will not give up. He will extend mercy infinitely. He'll extend other chances infinitely. He will work with those people in that covenant relationship with you as long and as often as it takes. So keep your covenant, or in other words, stay at the tree. Beautiful, beautiful, Gary. It's beautiful to hear you share that. And, and, and I hope all of your listeners We'll read President Nelson's uh, uh, 2022 Liahona article called The Everlasting Covenant. Mm -hmm. I came across that during a very despairing time, and it restored my hope and my faith. Even if I don't understand how this covenant is going to come about, I know it's going to honor agency. I know it's going to maintain growth and development. It's not going to force anyone but there is power in the covenant. So I invite everyone to, to go and listen. In, in light of this topic of staying by the tree and what Carrie is saying about this covenant, go listen to President Nelson uh, in a Leahona. It's October 2022, Leahona. Yeah. And it's a powerful talk, which then Carrie, I'm going to do a little bit of a, a, a pushing, but this hesed that President Nelson spoke of, which he partially learned from you and some of your writings as well as he references your uh, readings of, 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 of about hesed, that was a powerful protection for me. Yeah. And, and if I could, if I could, we often hear this uh, purported quote of Joseph Smith, Smith saying, that though some sheep, some of the sheep may wander, the eye of the shepherd is upon them, and sooner or later they will feel the tentacles of divine providence reaching out after them and drawing them back to the fold. We've heard that a bit. Uh, Elder Bednar, in a wonderful uh, talk that he gave, or, or uh, Ensign article that he gave, kind of helped us better understand that these tentacles of divine providence is a type of spiritual power. And when we think about power, we're thinking about covenants. We're thinking about the power of God that comes to us through our righteousness of those covenants. He, 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 Elder Bednar continued on, he says, is a type of spiritual power, a heavenly pole or tug that entices a wandering child to return to the fold eventually. 
Such an influence cannot override the moral agency of a child, but nonetheless can invite and beckon. Ultimately, a child must exercise his or her moral agency and respond in faith, repent with full purpose, heart, and act in accordance with the teachings of Christ. And then uh, President Nelson, in this everlasting uh, covenant uh, article, this was what he said. Because God has a special kind of love and mercy, this hesed, for those who have covenanted with him, he will love them. He will continue to work with them and offer them opportunities to change. He will forgive them when they repent. And should they stray, he will help them find their way back to him. That quote, that teaching of a prophet speaking to the burdened hearts of parents and individuals themselves, that if we can stay by the tree, stay covenant connected in this relationship with our Heavenly Father, His power, He is the Father, will continue to beckon and reach out to His children. It's not me, but it's God who is reaching out, and I can be a part of that as a righteous, covenant-keeping husband, mother, uh, father, uh, uh, wife. I, I hope I hope we see that this is exactly what President Nelson has been wanting us to better understand so that we can endure the hardness of this mortal journey, which often is in the context of family. Uh, amen to that. Amen. And, and maybe I just touch on that. That quote you gave is just so powerful about how he will reach after them. He will, he will ring the back. Um, uh, so it's, I won't tell the whole story. It's, I don't think it's really designed for public, but, um, there's an interaction between my book and president Nelson's article, just beyond even the fight that the fact that he cites it in there. And as you said, he, he kind of learned about Chesed from, from some of the things I was writing. But as I was writing about Chesed, like in my heart, I wanted to say that, but I felt like I don't, I can't say that. That's not my place. That's not my role. And I don't know. I believe it's true, but I, I don't know, and I'm not the one who can say it. But then to have a prophet look at those things, and then he says it, that's that's power, right? He is the one who can know and can say and is authorized to say it. And to have that prophetic statement that because of this chesed and, and this covenant relationship that when our children stray, God will reach out after them, that's that's a power that, and I think it's probably true of spouses as well or whatever else, right? When we're in this covenant relationship with someone, um, that's a power that, uh, and I was also going, our family was having uh, some uh, trials during that time period with the health problems with children that were causing them all sorts of other problems and so on. Uh, reading that was an incredible comfort to me. And it was, it was based off my own writings and reading that <laughs> was an incredible comfort because the prophetic power behind it is is stunning. Um, and the, and the comfort of Christ is stunning and overwhelming. And, uh, so again, yeah, stay at the tree, keep your covenants that, and, and, and there's joy and comfort just in that. So, so yeah. wonderful. I'm, I'm glad both of us. And, and there's so many, again, go listen to president Nelson and the prophetic power of his reminder, reminding promises. How oft Will I gather my children like a hen gathereth her chicks? A yeah. parental metaphor there. Yeah. How often? And then 
and 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 we need to continue to stay on the by the tree continue to strengthen our relationship with our heavenly father and believe in his everlasting extended hand reaching out to our children to his children to our spouses to our brothers and sisters and so forth um this is not unique and this is not a, a catching God off guard. He anticipated this from the very beginning, and, and we need to have faith and hope and charity uh, in exactly what he anticipated through uh, providing a Savior uh, and, and, and making it possible for all of us. Amen to that. Amen. Uh, such important and powerful stuff. Thank you for that. This is this is an important topic, and I think we'll we'll come we'll find some way to come back to this. This is a really important stuff, and uh, one that's uh, tender and and near to the heart for so many people. So thank you for your time on that. Um, and we, I, I'm sure this has been helpful for so many people, and that our my audience, as you're listening, you'll think of someone else that needs to hear this. That this is just where their heart is and it's what they need to hear. We hope you'll share it with them. Uh, either just teach them what you've heard here or share the actual podcast in whatever way you can share. Uh, we hope you'll like and download and review and rate and uh, comment and all those things that help other people find it as well. Um, we also hope you'll you'll join us next week uh, as we go through uh, some of this powerful narrative that we're talking about where you see the lessons in uh, Nephi and Lehi's family. Uh, Dr. Andrew Skinner is going to be on. He is always popular, I would say. I think my top five most listened to uh, episodes are all Andy Skinner. Everyone loves him. And uh, and I think we're going to have uh, something from Kent Brown as well. I'm, I'm working on that still, but I, I think so. So some real heavy hitters uh, in terms of people who really know the gospel. But So uh, uh, you've loved uh, this week, I'm sure, and you're going to love next week as well. So uh, let me just one more time say thank you, uh, Byron. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a, an edifying opportunity to be here with you, Carrie.